This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 20th day of February 2023. It's going to be a beautiful day down here in the southeast. Beautiful weekend. We finally got out of the uh, the rain cycle we were in, although it's coming again, I guess, uh, uh, over the next week, but uh, uh, going to take advantage of it. Was out actually working in the garden yesterday, getting things ready for the spring. It's uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, we start the show this morning. Obviously, uh, everybody heard over the weekend. Jimmy Carter uh, is entering hospice care in his home um, as uh, he reaches the end of his life and just decided that he'd had enough. You know, he's uh, 98 years old. Turned 98 in October. It got me to thinking. And, and uh, listen, um, you know, when you get to be of a certain age and you get to be over 60 years old, it, it naturally pops into your head, geez, how much time do I have left, right? You know, you just never know. And But uh, with Jimmy Carter, I mean, his life went on. I mean, 98 years old, I mean, it's if I live to be 98, I got 36 more years left to torture people. Uh, but, you know, you wonder, do you get to a point and, and maybe this is where Jimmy Carter is at. Do you get to a point where you just go, I'm tired. I'm tired and I've had enough. I can't imagine that. It's hard for me because I love life, you know, uh, despite all the ups and downs I've, I've had in my life and uh, the roller coaster ride that life can be. I enjoy being here. You know, I'm not in any hurry to get out of here. And hell, I, as I've said many times, I'd love to live to be 100 years old as long as, you know, I'm not blowing bubbles in my oatmeal and can still get around and um, but you, you know, maybe you just get, you know, with Jimmy Carter, he, you know, battled cancer and he had the brain tumor and, you know, a lot of people, uh, he thought he was going to be dead a long time ago. Experimental treatment kept him going. I mean, what he and Rosalind Carter have done for humanity, uh, you can argue all you want about what a, a bad president he was or a great president he was, or, you know, he, uh, he got beat by Ronald Reagan in a landslide and, you know, he wasn't the most effective president in the world. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But what he has given back to humanity as a human being is amazing. It really is. Uh, this is a guy who won the Nobel Peace Prize, for God's sake, um, back in 2002. And, and it's, he used his pulpit as being a former president of the United States to spend lots of time after that you know, uh, going around the world uh, advocating for democracy, you know, checking out elections and making sure they were fair, working on human rights and public health and uh, started the Carter Center, uh, you know, just and, and working for Habitat for Humanity where, you know, he and Rosalind worked until like 
2020, something ridiculous like that, you know, building involved in building over 4,000 homes. So you can argue all you want um, about whether he was a good president or not, but there aren't many human beings that are any better than Jimmy Carter has been for the world in general. You know, and it will be a sad day when he passes, and I expect it will be any day now. I'm sure that them releasing that news that he's entering hospice care was kind of basically just to prepare us that, hey, it's not going to be long. Uh, so, uh, you know, he is something that a lot, a lot of people have taken time to reflect. And, you know, there's always the a-holes to kind of say, you know, uh, bad things about him, especially in this day and age. I mean, some of the stuff that's come out of some Republican uh people's mouths about Jimmy Carter is just despicable. There was one woman, I can't remember her name, but said something about, you know, he lived long enough to see a Democrat that uh, that was worse than he was in Joe Biden. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, so as good a human being as Jimmy Carter is, people like that are just the opposite end of the spectrum. So anyway, uh, you know, just uh, spent a lot of time thinking about Jimmy Carter over the weekend, something that I can't say I've done a lot in my life. Um, Richard Belzer passed away this weekend, uh, 78 years old, uh, from a homicide life on the streets, law and order SVU. Of course, a lot of us, again, especially those of us of a certain age, remember him as a stand-up comic in the seventies. Uh, this is a guy that worked with guys like, uh, long before there was a Saturday Night Live, uh, he was working with uh, Belushi and Radner and Bill Murray, uh, on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. You know, and uh, he worked uh, as a warm-up comic for the SNL uh, when it got going um, and uh, started getting into acting, had a lot of bit parts. But uh, then when the uh, the Law & Order thing started and he moved over to Law & Order SVU, uh, playing Detective John Munch, uh, just uh, uh, a, a cool guy. A guy, by the way, you know, it was, it was interesting. He said one of the reasons that he loved uh, the role is he said that, uh, you know, he says, I'd never be a detective, but if I were, that's how I'd be. He said they wrote uh, to all my paranoia and anti-establishment uh, dissidents and my conspiracy theories. And he said, uh, you know, it's been fun. You know, and that's the kind of guy he was. He was really big into conspiracy theories. He's actually uh, co-wrote a few books about about some of the stuff, JFK's assassination, et cetera. Uh, different kind of guy. Different kind of guy. No question about it. Born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, by the way. Um my home state, uh, and uh, lived in France the last uh, number of years uh, with his third wife and his uh, stepchildren. Um, and I, one thing I didn't know is that uh, he is a cousin, I believe it's a cousin, of uh, Henry Winkler. Did not know that. So uh, anyway, he passes away at the age of 78. All right, let's get to sports. I, I spent um, a good part of yesterday after I got done in the garden, I spent a good part of yesterday um, watching the Daytona 500 as I do every year. Uh, it's to me, well, I like NASCAR, but it's not just that. To me, the Daytona 500 is the start of the spring for me because it's, you know, the second weekend in February uh, or third weekend in February. I can't remember what it is, but it's it's right around that time, and it's, it means baseball starting and spring is here and um, – and it's a fun race to watch. It's one of those races you never know. It doesn't. You could be leading, uh, you know, the whole race, and you might not 
win the race because that's usually what happens. The guy usually winning at the uh, white flag is not usually the guy that wins the race. Ask Kyle Busch. Now, he had a tough race yesterday, but uh, he is now 0 for 18 at Daytona. But he has led more laps at Daytona than any driver in history, yet he has never won it. So that speaks to exactly what was going on. And you look at yesterday's another example. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wins it yesterday uh, when on the second overtime, when there was a caution lap uh, or a caution flag came out after he had taken the white flag in the overtime. And usually after you take the white flag in overtime, the next flag, uh, whether it's a caution or the checkered, ends it. And uh, he just nosed out uh, Connecticut's Joey Logano to uh, win his first Daytona 500. It is his first win in five years, his third win overall. Uh, It's his 14th season, has not won a lot, kind of was doubting himself and uh, gets the win yesterday. And uh, it was a fun race. Uh, Jimmy Johnson returning, uh, the seven-time champion. He was doing well. He was actually in the top ten, and then it was a – a wreck in the first overtime, and he uh, got wiped out, ended up finishing 31st in the race. But uh, he made a good accounting of himself. Uh, Travis Pastrana, who was a, uh, an action sports star, a guy who's been in the X Games and stuff, actually finished 11th. How about that? Uh, a guy had never raced before and uh, he finishes 11th. What, one thing that is notable, by the way, about Stenhouse's win yesterday, uh, Brad Doherty, former NBA player and a co-owner of that car, uh became the first black owner to win the Daytona 500. Uh, It is also co-owned by a husband and wife team, uh, Tad and Jody uh, Guestchicker, and uh, they became, uh, or Jody as one of the co-owners, became just the second woman uh, to win the Daytona 500 as an owner. Uh, Teresa Earnhardt, of course, uh, the first one, uh, went uh, unbelievable, unbelievable race. It was a lot of fun. Uh, they move on to California to Fontana next week, and uh, but the uh, Daytona 500 is over, and uh, good for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, gets off to Schneid, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, can have a good season. I-, I hope this season is just like last season. It was so great; we had so many different winners. Uh, everything came down to last week. A lot of points, uh, considerations, and I think it's uh, I think it's shaping up probably to be that kind of year again this year. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game was last night. And as I have said a million times, I couldn't care less. I watched exactly zero of the NBA All-Star Game, and here's why. The final score, 184 to 175. You heard me. <laughs> 184 to 175, which means nobody, and I mean nobody, played defense. It's just, it's silly. It really is. I mean, now what's interesting is, is and, and they break it up now, it's not, and it used to be the Eastern and Western Conference, yada, yada, yada. Now they do this thing where, you know, they pick two superstars to be the team captains, LeBron James and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo was the other one. Uh, and Giannis said that uh, his first pick when they were picking out uh, who they wanted on their teams, because now you can have guys from the Eastern Conference playing on both teams. Uh, he picked Jason Tatum because he knew Jason Tatum would take it seriously. Well, he took the offense seriously. No question about that. Uh, Tatum, 55 points, the most ever for a player in an NBA All-Star game. He had 27 alone in the third quarter. He wins the MVP. He also had 10 rebounds uh, and six assists. And uh, uh, Team Giannis beat Team LeBron 184-175. 
Yippee. One interesting thing, and, and again, I didn't watch it, but uh, Jason Tatum, of course, of the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown, also of the Boston Celtics. They were on opposite sides. Uh, Brown played for Team LeBron, and they were play, they were guarding each other and playing one on one at times. And you know, uh, Tatum says it's he says it's a lot like uh, uh, practice every day. He says, except now there were millions of people watching. Um, you know, let's you know enough. Let's just get back to, to basketball because that was a joke. It really was, uh, as it is every year. And and people that are NBA fans are going to tell me I'm an idiot and whatnot. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. Um, so, uh, one thing was cool is a young kid that won the, uh, NBA dunk contest. Again, I didn't watch it live, but I watched the, uh, uh, the highlights of it. This kid McClung, who was a, a, a G league player. He'd only played a couple of games in the NBA this year, but he got into the, uh, slam dunk contest. Uh, he's only six, two, he's a white dude, six, two white dude. And he, he won the contest the dunks he made were ridiculous. This guy's got incredible ups. Uh, and and some people are saying that maybe he he saved the dunk contest uh, for the future because there's been there had been some talk that maybe it was time for that to go away. You know, it was kind of cool back in the day with Julia serving and those kinds of things. That's how it started. And then of course Michael Jordan kept it going, and um, but it kind of lost the uh, the juice a little bit. Uh, but uh, this guy, uh, this young kid winning it, and again, somebody who's not even a regular in the NBA winning it. Uh, a, it's I guess it's kind of weird, kind of a joke, but at the same time, if you just watch the highlights, you can go on YouTube or anywhere, just Google it and watch his day, uh, the dunks he made in that contest, and they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. I mean, you know, and I'm not even an NBA fan, but you just, I mean, you gotta, you gotta tip your cap to that. Um, a lot of the sports world this weekend, uh, starting on Thursday, was watching golf because Tiger Woods was back. And uh, the good news is Tiger Woods finished the tournament. He made the cut and finished the tournament. I mean, he was he finished one under, and he was a million shots back. Uh, but on Saturday, a uh, shot of 67, best round he had had in years. Um, you know, he looked sore at the end of the day, you know, walking those those four rounds on four consecutive days. Um and said, "Look, you know, look. This is what this is what it is. I'm going to play the the majors every year, maybe one or two other tournaments, and that's it. So get used to it. Uh, I don't know that he can ever win again. But here's the thing: largest galleries of the tournament were following Tiger Woods. TV ratings, at least through the first three days, were through the roof because of Tiger Woods. And he, as I've said, he moves the needle like nobody else does." I mean, you kind of feel bad for a guy like John Rahm. John Rahm played very well yesterday. He wins the tournament, uh, becomes number one uh, on the uh, uh, the world rankings once again. Um, led by three going into the last round. Actually kind of uh, struggled a bit early and had a one-shot deficit. Came back to win it. Uh, and he kind of got overshadowed by a guy who finished one under par. <laughs> <laughs> right? Go figure. Uh, but uh, Ram has looked really, really good, and it was kind of weird seeing Tiger, you know, he's the host of the tournament, the Genesis Invitational. Uh, and, uh, by the way, he's never, Tiger's never won there. And as he said afterwards, and he, with a smile, my streak here continues. Uh, but, look, you know, good for him, good for Tiger for finishing out, good for John Rahm. Uh, I just kind of felt bad for Rahm. Um uh, because, you know, all the attention was on Tiger, despite the fact that he ended up being the number one golfer in the world when this was over. Uh, and one for the old guys, Bernhard Langer won the uh, uh, Champions event this week. And uh, 
he won the Chubb Classic in Naples, Florida. The Chubb Classic. Uh, kind of sounds like uh, me. Anyway, uh, 65 years old and shot a 65. He shot his age on the last day. Ends up winning the tournament, uh, beating Steve Stricker, Patrick Harrington. Uh, it is a... He, he matched the record of Hale Irwin for 45 wins on the PGA Champions Tour. Uh, look, 65 years old, he shot his age. Uh, I tell you what, I could probably be 85 and I wouldn't be able to shoot my age. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing, this guy. Uh, and uh, he holds the record for uh, uh, wins. By somebody his age. I mean, it's just crazy. 45 wins. You know, I don't know how much longer he can keep going, but it's pretty cool. He won the Chubb title. That's the fifth time that he has won that tournament. He won it last year as well. Uh, So good for him. Good for him. Uh, Women's college basketball. South Carolina nearly lost one. Uh, (laughs) This is how good South Carolina is. They're 27-0. They beat... Uh, Ole Miss yesterday, 64-57 in overtime. It is just the third time all season that South Carolina has had a game decided uh, by a margin in single digits. It's unbelievable. Um, The other ones were against uh, UConn, who they beat uh, by four, and then they beat Stanford by five in overtime. That's it. Everybody else, they have just absolutely drilled. But Ole Miss gave them everything uh, they could handle yesterday. Uh, but Zia Cook came up big. She scored five of her 24 points in the overtime, and uh, the Gamecocks stay unbeaten. Uh, 27-0, 14-0 in the SEC. They play Tennessee on Thursday. Uh, and, uh, you know, barring uh, a bus accident on the way, they – they will uh, uh, they will go to 28-0. No. The UConn women won this weekend, uh, the number six team in the country. Uh, they beat a very good number 14 Villanova team, 60-51. Uh, to 51. It wasn't pretty, uh, but Lou Lopez-Seneschal, the transfer from Fairfield University, 22 points. Aliyah Edwards with another double-double. I think it was her 10th of the season, 14 points and 10 rebounds. And uh, UConn wins this one. And they have effectively locked up. Uh, the Big East title. They have three games left, and they have a two-game lead. So, uh, uh, and the uh, the rest of the opponents, not that tough. So UConn uh, is going to win the Big East yet again. And you know, look, uh, the AP rankings will come out this week. Uh, they should move up a couple of spots. They had a two and zero week against two tough opponents. Uh, the UConn men uh, won also this weekend. Uh, wasn't pretty again, but uh, they beat Seton Hall. On Saturday, 64-55, to 55. Jordan Hawkins, uh, 20 points and uh, 15 points from Andre Jackson and the UConn men seem to have righted the ship a little bit. Uh, very inconsistent. That's the biggest problem uh, with the UConn men. Still really not sure what to expect from them. It is 25 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 27 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Monday morning. Uh, Manny Machado, the third baseman or slash shortstop for the San Diego Padres. He'll be definitely be the third baseman now with Xander Bogarts there. Um, announced over the weekend that he plans to opt out 
of the remainder of his contract with the San Diego Padres. Um, it got me to think I would be a lousy. Well, I don't. I would no. I wouldn't say lousy. I would be an unpopular owner if I had the kind of money to own a major league baseball team. Let me. T- Here's why. This whole opt out thing, it's got to stop. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's it's a way for people to. <laughs> well, to, to not have to honor a contract. If you say, to me, it's always, and, and it doesn't matter now. We've seen it in the NBA. The old days, when you signed a contract, that was your word. You were going to honor the terms of your contract. Contracts don't mean squat these days. Look at what's going on in the NBA. Look what just happened with the Brooklyn Nets where Kyrie Irving demands a trade, and the Nets give it to him. Kevin Durant demands a trade, and the Nets give it to him. You know, it's it, and, and those are just a couple of examples. We see this all the time. Guys don't want to honor contracts anymore. And so now the big thing in Major League Baseball over the last several years has been to sign guys to these huge contracts. Hey, we'll give you, you know, 10 years, $27 trillion, but we'll let you opt out after a year. Well, as an owner, I don't understand why, and general manager, why you would want to do this. Part of the deal when you're going out to sign players is to build for the future and to try to figure out, okay, I'm going to sign this guy for the next five years, and now I've got to build around this guy because he's going to be the core of our team. Well, if you give a guy an opt-out, that core of your team could be gone in a year or two. So now you're starting from scratch all over again. You know, maybe you've signed other guys to, that you think would be complementary players around this guy. Well, now all of a sudden, you ain't got that guy anymore. Manny Machado signed a 10-year deal for $300 million with the Padres prior to the 2019 season. So he's now played... Four years under that contract, and this will be his fifth, so he'll be halfway through that contract. Well, he has now decided, based on the uh, financial landscape around the rest of Major League Baseball, that he wants out, that he's underpaid. You know, I'm sorry, but when you're making $30 million a year, you are not underpaid. I get it that, you know, you look at – you know, what other players are getting. And the average annual value is now in some of the top players is up over $30 million a year. I get that. But if you were concerned about that, don't sign a 10-year deal. Sign a five-year deal. Sign a four-year deal. Sign a three-year deal. And say, you know, I know that the markets are going to go up. But what's happened now is that we have players, you know, they just want to see these big numbers because it's all about ego, right? You know, you look at the total by $300 million. Hey, great. But it doesn't mean anything. I was pleased that, you know, like Xander Bogart signed that long deal with the Padres. It doesn't have opt-outs. If I was an owner, I would give nobody an opt-out. 
You sign a deal, you sign a deal. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we have a lot of young players that sign deals to avoid arbitration. You know, we just saw that with uh, Bo Bichette with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. He signed a deal that buys basically buys out the last three years of his arbitration, gives him an, a guaranteed income. He doesn't have to go through the process every year of, uh, you know, arguing how much money he should make in front of an arbitrator uh, and the team coming out and saying, well, yeah, he wasn't quite that good. We don't want to give him that much. You know, that makes sense to me for a young player to do something like that. But you're not signing a 10-year deal that you're going to try to bail out of later. These this opt-outs is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, because the the teams are take look, if a team signs you, if they sign Manny Machado this 10-year deal for 300 mil. That's great for Manny Machado. He makes 30 million dollars a year, but then he decides it's not enough. Here's the thing. The the owner of the Padres is taking an even bigger risk than the player. Because what happens, for instance, we can use the Red Sox as an example. What happens when you sign a guy to a huge contract and then he gets hurt? Well, in Major League Baseball, every contract is guaranteed. You know, unless there's something, unless you do something to violate a morals clause that's in the contract or you get hurt doing something that's prohibited in the contract, you know, like skydiving or something, because they write that stuff into the contracts that you can't do certain things in the offseason that could jeopardize your career. But the owner takes as a bigger risk, perhaps, than you do. Because if Machado blows out his arm or blows out his knee and has to miss two years, he's still making $30 million a year to do nothing. Look at what the Red Sox have paid Chris Sale over the last three years to pitch a grand total of 48 innings. And he's still taking it to the bank. And, you know, good for Chris Sale in that he understands that he isn't living up to what people were expecting and what the ownership was expecting when they signed him to that extension, you know. But that's a risk that the ownership is taking as well. So now Manny Machado is going to leave the Padres at the end of this year unless the Padres will sign him to a new year. He wants a new deal, by the way, that is around $40 million a year. He would like a new 10-year deal for $400 million. Here's what the Padres offered him. The Padres said, look, we'll sign you to an extension. How about this? Uh, we'll sign you to a deal uh, for another uh, five years and $105 million, which is only, by the way, only $21 million a year. But it would start in 2029 when your current deal expires. So here's what we're willing to do. In your age 36 season, we're willing to pay you $20 million a year for another five years, which would take you to your age 41 season, which would be when you are done. Well, Manny Machado said that uh, they're $145 million apart. So he is not coming back to the Padres. You know, look, I, I get that the player wants to make what he feels that he is worth. Then I, I don't, I, I just don't understand ownership wanting or allowing these players to get the opt-outs. I would, you look, and look, Manny Machado is going to get his money. He is going to get his money. If he leaves the Padres, there is no doubt that somebody is going to give him more than $30 million a year. You know, look, he looked at the offseason, and he saw some of these contracts, and he saw, you know, Raffi Devers getting 330 mil, 
Aaron Judge getting 360 mil. Uh, Xander Bogarts, you know, his big contract. Carlos Correa, huge contract. You get it. I mean, Jesus, we saw relievers getting over $100 million in contracts. That never happens. And Shohei Otane, they're going to have to you know, back up a Brinks truck for him because people are, people are theorizing he's going to get in excess of $400 million in his next contract. That he, his average annual value of his contract could be over $40 million a year to play baseball. And as much as I love baseball, that is just it's just ludicrous. We're it's 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 Looney Tunes time, these these numbers. And look, none of these owners in Major League Baseball are broke or are poor. You know, I don't feel sorry for any of them. I mean, it is what it is. They're making billions and billions. Major League Baseball. So I don't you know, it's not like there isn't money out there. But I don't understand teams that constantly sign players and give them opt-outs so that they can walk away. Look what happened with the Twins last year, right? The funny part is, you know, he ended up back there. But last year or two years ago, the Twins signed Carlos Correa from Houston to I think it was a five-year deal. But he had an opt-out at the end of the first year. Well, guess what happened? He took it. Because he saw what the free agent market was going to be like, he took the opt out, and then we went through that whole off season, you know, this year where after taking the opt out, he ends up going to like four different teams before finally the Twins re-sign him because of the concerns over his knee, and he ends up getting more money. But it's just how can you build a team when you don't know from year to year whether a guy is going to opt out or not, or whether I'm going to have to, you know reserve money to replace this guy or use to, you know use that money to get two guys to replace this guy it's just nuts you know and it's why that a lot of player or a lot of fans especially casual fans have gotten turned off by professional sports be it NBA major league baseball NBA whatever football i mean look at you know Quarterbacks making $45 million a year in the NFL. I mean, it's just, you know, and you wonder why people want to throw up. Or, you know, you just, they want to talk about the greedy players. You know, and, and again, uh, I'm not saying that, that the players don't deserve to get paid. But if you sign a contract, there should be no way for you to get out of that contract. Just, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, and, and to have these guys in the NBA be able to say, ah, I don't really want to play for the Nets anymore. Trade me. And you know if you don't trade him, he's going to be an absolute malcontent and a distraction, and you've got no opportunity, uh, you know, to have success with this guy. And you know there's no way you're going to keep him on the team long term. So the best thing for you to do is trade him and get rid of the distraction. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have owners like the John Angelos who owns the Baltimore Orioles. Well, the, the family owns it. The Baltimore Orioles last year with a group of young players went 83 and 79. Had a hell of a year, surprised a lot of people, were in playoff contention right up until the very end. 
they have a great young core to build around. Yet this year, the Baltimore Orioles are going to have a payroll of around $50 million. Now you say, well, that's a lot of money. 26 players on their active major league roster are going to make a total of $50 million. That is next to last in Major League Baseball. The only team that spends less than the Baltimore Orioles this year is going to be the Oakland Athletics. The Tampa Bay Rays and the Pittsburgh Pirates, notorious cheapskates, are even spending more than the Baltimore Orioles. And John Angelos, you know, what a dope. You know, he spoke to the media and he said, uh, you know, when they, they they talked about, you know, uh, how, you know, all these teams like the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees are spending all this money. And he said, that's not an Oriole thing. He said, we're a small market, middle market team thing. So he basically said, not only are we not going to spend a lot of money this year, get used to it. We're not going to spend a lot of money ever. You would think with that young team and the fact they were four games over 500, add a couple of veteran players, spend a little bit of money, and maybe capitalize on these young players and do something. You know, spend $50 million on a couple of players, you know, bring them in and, and, and have an opportunity to contend for the playoffs. By the way, even if they did that, and doubled their their team salary to $100 million. Still sounds like a lot of money, right? That'd be 22nd out of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball. You would still be in the bottom half of spending in Major League Baseball. Look, I know that, you know, what guys like Steve Cohen have done, you know, spending $355 million this year, what the Yankees have done, what the Dodgers have done, even what the Red Sox have done, even though, you know, the Red Sox number is still, I think, fifth or sixth highest in baseball. But, you know, you look at what those top six, seven teams in Major League Baseball have done, and you, and you can say, well, you know, that's typical. They're the big markets. And But, look, I'm sorry. And Baltimore can call themselves a small market team all they want. They are in the major metropolitan D.C. area. There are a lot of fans in that area. When they have a good team, Camden Yards is sold out all the time. There is a lot of buzz around that team when they do well. They they drew very, very well. I'm sorry. You cannot call them a small market team. Pittsburgh, okay, you can do that. Tampa, absolutely. Hell, San Diego is supposed to be a small market team, and look at all the money the Padres are spending. So John Angelos is doing the fans of Baltimore a disservice. It's gross. You know, and, uh, you know, there was talk that they wanted to sell the team. I hope the hell they do. Now, I don't want them to leave Baltimore, but I hope the hell they, because the fans of Baltimore deserve better than that. This is a team uh, with a rich history, uh, has had a lot of success in the past. They have a great fan base. They have one of the best ballparks in the major leagues. They deserve better than John Angelos and the Angelos family. It's just, it, it's reprehensible. Th- think about that. There are going, there are a couple of players this year that are going to make around $40 million a year. So there are players in here that are going, that are going to make damn near the entire payroll of the Baltimore Orioles. 
And, and how can Angelos and that ownership group expect anybody to show up when you've basically said to them, yeah, we're not going to spend money now. We're not going to spend money in the future. It sucks to be you. You know, and I, I, I with the, with the, again, with the TV revenue they get from the national, national broadcast, that damn near pays their entire payroll, which means that the Angelos family is pocketing millions and millions and millions of dollars, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, and not putting any of it back into the running of that franchise. And that is something that Major League Baseball needs to address. 44 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 46 minutes past the hour. Uh, last segment here on a Monday morning. Uh, programming note, I'm here. Uh, we will be here tomorrow. Uh, we will not be here the rest of the week. I am heading back north. I'm heading up to Connecticut uh, for a few days to uh, visit my sisters, my daughter, uh, some friends. So uh, I will be gone um, Wednesday through Friday. We will be back on Monday, but uh, no show after. T- we will we will be here tomorrow, but uh, nothing uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as uh, I head north. And by the way, I, I, <laughs> I saw in the forecast that Connecticut's going to welcome me with some lovely weather. High temperatures are going to be like in the 20s and 30s. I mean, I guess the saving grace is uh, no snow, but uh, ugh, it'll that's it'll just be another reminder while I'm there of why the hell I got out of there. Um, uh, speaking of uh, ownership in Major League Baseball, John Henry uh, had an email exchange with uh, uh, Jen McCaffrey of the Athletic and uh, Sean McAdam from Boston Sports Journal over the weekend, and. Look, John Henry, the principal owner of the Red Sox, will actually be down in uh, Fort Myers today. He'll probably hopefully address the media, but uh, he did it through an email exchange, and he pushed back. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the Red Sox this year that they are uh, not trying to win. He he said, look, um, he said there's this false narrative out there that, that we have somehow stopped spending. He said... But, you know, that, that we don't want to sign free agents, that, uh, that we're uh, uninterested in winning anymore, despite our track record of all the championships in recent years. He said, but look, uh, how about we look at the facts? And he's, look, he's right. And this is where, this is, uh, this is because Red Sox fans, actually not just Red Sox fans, any fan of a big market team that has had success, Red Sox fans, Yankee fans, Dodger fans, they're all spoiled. If you don't win a World Series, or if you don't at least get to the World Series, it's it's perceived that somehow your season is a failure because you're expected to win. And the Red Sox, to be fair, look, the Red Sox have finished in last place in the American League East two out of the last three seasons. I get all that. But John Henry says, look, look at the facts. You know, um, their payroll this year, is going to be around $200 million, $210 million. That's in the top, you know, six or seven in Major League Baseball. So the idea that they are not spending is false. I think the problem is, is that Red Sox fans can't get over the fact that the Red Sox let Xander Bogarts leave for San Diego. But the fact of the matter is this. 
The Red Sox, yes, they're going to spend money, but they are not going to spend money like Steve Cohen of the New York Mets does. Nobody can. I mean, John Henry pointed this out in the uh, you know in in the the exchange with with these reporters. He said, "Look," he said, uh, "he said, you know." We get criticized, or, or you know, teams get criticized every year because uh, fans say they aren't "quote unquote" going for it. You know, when they are in fact trying to do everything they can, short of destroying their futures, to win. He says, "Look, we have to look at the futures." He said, "Every team," and then he said in parentheses, "maybe not the Mets," has a budget. You know, you know, and it's, and he said, "You know, look, we." had a mediocre year last year. And so it's very easy to say, you know, that, that we've become mediocre. He said, but we needed to make changes. We haven't lost our way. But we, you know, they can't do everything the fans want them to do. Every time a big-name free agent comes up in any sport, how often do you see one of the fans of a big market team say, oh, we should sign this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy? And yet, then you look up and you're like, okay, well, how are we going to pay for that? Well, if you want to, you know, double ticket prices, well, we could pay for that. But he said, look, you know, we're spending money. We want to win. This is, you know, this is just, you know, crap. And some of this is a product of the president of baseball operations that they signed. We've talked about this forever in Heimbloom, there are a lot of people that they hear Heimbloom and they hear Tampa Bay Rays because he is a product of the Tampa Bay Rays system. And so everybody, including a lot of the reporters, well, not a lot, but several of the reporters in Boston, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, probably top of that list, saying that the Red Sox have become Tampa Bay North, that the Red Sox are just trying to dumpster dive and just pick up a lot of role players and you know, and, and they're going to do things. We're not going to get the big splashes here that we're used to. And that they think that, that the Red Sox fans think that they deserve. You don't deserve anything. You know, and I, I, a lot of people think that the Red Sox are going to stink this year. And I understand, and I've said this on the program, I understand that a lot of things have to go right for the Red Sox to compete this year simply because they are in the American League East, simply because they have to compete with the Yankees and the Blue Jays, teams that have spent money and have made some big moves. And you still have to compete with Tampa that just finds a way every year, and Tampa that's going to have a very, very good pitching staff this year. Everybody's healthy. You know, people forget about the fact that you know, they didn't have their entire rotation last year because they had a couple of guys injured. They're all back. They're going to be really good. So, you know, I understand that, you know, Chris Sale has to stay healthy. James Paxton has to be healthy. I mean, I get that. You know, uh, they need to be able to get innings out of Corey Kluber. You know, they need to, him to, to, you know, do what he did for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's never going to be the Corey Kluber he was when he won the Cy Young when he was with the Cleveland Indians. That ship has sailed. He doesn't throw that hard anymore. But they need those guys to do well. They need this kid, uh, uh, Masataku, who they signed from Japan, to be what they expect him to be. 
You know, they need Christian Arroyo to stay on the field. Christian Arroyo is a guy who was a first-round draft pick of the San Francisco Giants, but Christian Arroyo uh, has played a grand total of 229 Major League games since he debuted with the Giants in 2017. 229 games. Now think about that. There's 162 games in the season. He's played 229 since 2017. He has spent 196 games on the injured list. So he has spent almost as much time on the injured list as he has on the field. Well, he is their primary second baseman this year. They need him to stay healthy. And they need him to be the Christian Arroyo he was at the second half of last year. Over the last 45 games of the season last year, Christian Arroyo hit 329. They need that Christian Arroyo. You know, they need Kike Hernandez, who says shortstop's his best position, <laughs> to be right. <laughs> because he's a pretty good center fielder. And they're going to have a guy in center field in Adam Duval who's untested out there, who's played like 60 games in his career in center field. But I think the Red Sox are going to compete. I think the Red Sox can still be a playoff team this year. I do. So I understand John Henry's frustration. It's Look, it's not my money. I'm not running that team. I'm not out signing the players. But I understand how John Henry is frustrated because they're still spending $200-plus million this year. And, yeah, it may not be, you know, the way the fans want it to be, but that's tough. It's not your money. You know, and as I said, if they stay healthy, this team can compete. We'll find out a little bit more as, as things go on. Look, uh, they start spring training games this weekend. I can't wait for that. And we've got the World Baseball Classic coming up in two weeks. And, uh, you know, we'll find out. Look, they've got a much better bullpen. They've got, they've, they have improved this team. I don't care what – I know they lost Sander Bogarts. I get that. I know J.D. Martinez left in free agency. I get that. I think they're going to miss Nate Evaldi more than they thought they were going to. But, again, if Paxton's healthy, if Kluber pitches well, I think they'll be okay. You know, I think they have improved this team regardless of the, the, the people that have left. I do. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I hope you all enjoy your Monday. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from Joe Ely. The road goes on forever. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.